What's your passion? We're on a mission to make a real difference. Soulfront. At Soulfront, we're on a mission to interview interesting people with a passion to make significant change. Our interviews are conversational, lighthearted, and we like to inject some fun in there too. We're looking for the person behind the passion to understand what it takes to be significant. So please join us. I want to tell you about Work Nicer. Work Nicer is a co-working space based in Alberta that's growing by the hundreds. Located at the Roxbury, Stephen Avenue, and Red Mile locations in Calgary, and now the Beaver House in Edmonton, it continues to grow. What they say at Work Nicer is no one succeeds alone and that you belong here. Their culture is devoted to friendliness, openness, and it's just a fun place to work. My favorite is Drink Nicer on Fridays, but there's so many different activities to do. It's truly an electric place for entrepreneurs, artists, and creators to spend their time. I highly recommend that you book a tour. Now back to the show. Jacqueline, welcome to the show. Thank you, I'm excited. Thanks so much for joining us today. So, here we go. A little bit about you. 2011, Top Chocolatiers in North America. 2014, Business of the Year Award. 2015, Business Leader Award. Global Woman of Vision Award. 2016, Best Chocolatier. And then again in 2017 with The Avenue Magazine. Top 40 Under 40. In 2018, I really like this one, a silver medalist of the International Chocolate Awards for two bars, Colombia, 70%, and Costa Rica, 70%, and then there's the bronze medal for a number of other bars. You know, you started in your basement in in 2009. You've moved that to a production facility, three retail boutiques, one in Sherwood Park, one in Edmonton, one in Canmore now. You have an online store, a talented team, a group of people that you help run and lead and give vision for, and you're partnering with leading retailers to sell your chocolate bars and and chocolate. So when somebody asks you, what do you do? (laughs) What do you you tell them? I I, I tell them I'm a chocolatier. If I'm feeling like I want to open up the conversation, I'll say that I'm a coconista, which is generally... What is that? What is that? Yeah, it's a chocolate designer. Chocolate designer. Yeah, it's a word I made up for what we do, just because I don't think we are normal chocolatiers or regular chocolatiers, so it's something I created. You create, so you created the idea of, of Coconista. Yes. Do you remember when you did that? When I launched the business. It's something that I'd wanted to work on for a long time, and I couldn't decide actually when I was deciding. I knew I wanted a company that brought joy, so that was sort of how this all began. Couldn't decide if I wanted to go into fashion or into culinary because both brought me immense joy. I decided to train in chocolate and use chocolate as my canvas for fashion. Mm-hmm. So that's where this word of like, am I a chocolatier? Am I a chocolate designer? I'm like, hang on, I'm a coconista. I'm a coconista. I love that. I love the fact that you actually created the word. Usually what I like to do in our podcast is go back in time, get in the DeLorean, think about things that happened in your life before any of this started. Could be younger years, could be school, could be anything, but sparks in your life that help move you towards what you love to do today. That's awesome. I mean, if I think of my childhood, I've always been really creative and I've loved building something out of nothing, whether it be a blank canvas and painting, blank piece of paper and drawing, um, anything in the visual arts was totally my jam. And I think 
that was always fostered by my parents. They always encouraged me, um, you know, told me I could be anything I wanted to be. I opened my first business when I was 11. I was creating ski hats for kids on hills, like in those back in the 80s. Um, they, That's... <laughs> they had those dinosaur tail <laughs> type toques and those gesture, you know, those funny toques, the bells at the end. Yeah. And so I was making bespoke ski hill toques uh, for my customers. And so for me, it was this idea of combining creativity, making people happy, and then people buying it was just the biggest thrill for me. So I think that thrill started at an early age is using creativity to create hmm. and then finding buyers. With your with your folks, like what, or, or, or maybe it was another influence, like what kind of helps nurture that? Do you remember a story or a time where, and I mean that hat situation could definitely be it, like where, they encouraged you or, or told you you weren't crazy? They never told me that. And they're such big believers in anything is possible. And I think that was fostered in me, I mean, from, from day one. Like, we just kind of, um, they, nothing is out of question, I guess. And even for our life after that, I mean, my parents decided they wanted a, an adventure, and so they sold everything. They had built a brand new house. Dad was mayor of our little town of Legal, and they thought let's let's do something wild and, and have some life experience and they sold everything and gave me and my sisters two suitcases each and said we're going to move to New Zealand for a year and see what happens so they were always big proponents of try something what's the worst case scenario what's the worst that can possibly happen so I mean in my little business I mean you would shut the business down when I was 11 like it's not a big deal but that never happened they you know they helped me buy an overlocker or a serger sewing machine all of that so they they kind of helped me with the tools to get that business off the ground. Um, in the case of New Zealand, I mean, they said, let's try this. What's the worst that can happen? We can buy a new house. We can buy new vehicles. We can buy new forks and knives. They sold everything. Hmm. Um, and so that's kind of how I live my life is, what's the worst that can happen? Where do you think they got that from? I'm not sure. I think they've just kind of wanted to maximize their time here on earth and just have a really good story to tell. Mm-hmm. I think it's just who they are, and it's really been instilled in myself and my sister. Yeah, no, I, I, I really like that. It's, it's hard to um, understand sometimes why something can push up against somebody else and it stops them, and then how the same, not the exact same thing, but the same kind of thing can happen to somebody else, and they take it a different way and see it in a different way and um, you know are able to push forward so no that's 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 a wonderful story about about your family yeah my mom often says like her language is always be open to the opportunity open to the opportunity or the possibilities yeah so you go to New Zealand right Um, and that's probably an incredible new experience how did New Zealand change the way you think well, I do call myself Kiwiadian now um, because I would say my more formative years were there. Um, I mean, I love the Kiwi culture. It's just, it's a lot, it's different than the North American culture. I mean, I think they have a little bit less, less big things, which I love. It's about quality of life. Um, I think I fell in love with food there and that's where I realized there's so so much joy in culinary. Um I mean, I don't know, I haven't, I can't compare it to what it would have been like to stay here because I don't have that experience, mm-hmm. but it definitely influenced who I am today. Yeah. 
So with food experiences, because now what you're doing, obviously, you know, every, every day or, you know, uh, quite often you're probably challenging the experience, right? To make it better and better in chocolate. Do you remember some food experiences that just took you to a different place? Yeah. I mean, I remember thinking some of my favorite foods in New Zealand we'd go out to eat and stuff were the simplest. And good food starts with really good ingredients. And in New Zealand, of course, we're very blessed that most things grow there. So the the fresh food, the textures, the flavors that you get without having to manipulate them Mm. is really where I started to fall in love with food. Yeah. Yeah. So you're in New Zealand and uh, you start thinking about chocolate. Now, this is this is later on, right? It is, yeah. Um, do you know why you decided to go there? I, I Honestly, I remember the day. So I was walking along the beach with a friend, and I'm like, I was working a corporate job in marketing, and we're talking about, like, you know, what do we want to do later in life and when we grow up, and... I'm like, I just want a business that makes people happy, kind of. And I still thought about the ski hat business. Like, I loved that little business. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted a joyful business. And and for me, I thought, well, in New Zealand, we have all these great ingredients. It'd be so cool to create something for people that come to visit us in New Zealand to have chocolates that taste like the pieces of New Zealand. So this whole idea, it was actually meant to be like initially a showcase of New Zealand through chocolate. Mm-hmm. And then I thought, well, okay, I know nothing about chocolate. I've been eating a lot of it. Um, so I, I took a, an online course from a Canadian school. That's funny. Yeah. So out of Vancouver, which is funny because it's a very much a hands-on skill, but I learned it online. So sometimes what happens in life is you start to find something that you enjoy, you love, and you move towards a community, mm-hmm. a group of people. Mm-hmm. Were there people that you connected with at that point to uh, hone the craft, or was it simply you in some crazy laboratory in your basement? <laughs> so back in Canada? So in New Zealand, I mean, it was never hard to find a community of people wanting to test my chocolates. Mm-hmm. Like, I would be making batches. I would host chocolate tastings to understand the different terroir of chocolate, because just like wine or coffee, depending where the cocoa beans are from, will yield a very different flavor. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was do- doing a ton of research with groups and stuff, starting in New Zealand. And then when I moved back to Canada, it was just a matter of testing. And I... Um, wanted to do this idea and I had just started I had just become engaged with my husband my um, and you know we were having the same conversation what do we want to do when we grow up all that kind of stuff and I'm like I still want to do this chocolate and fashion thing and I think most guys especially like a fiance would be like that's wild you know you need to settle down we're getting married and he didn't say that he Mm -hmm. said okay what do we need to do so from the time we got married and we had this conversation like we were having it around the time we got married um in three months he had built me a commercial kitchen in the house in our basement wow so he didn't ever belittle this bizarre concept mm-hmm. um, and yeah from there I kind of I, I tested the market here because who knew if fashionable chocolate was actually going to have legs in Edmonton um, but I was blown away by the response and Edmontonians are so open to new things and are so supportive as a community Mm-hmm. that it just was one step in front of the other and it kind of just grew from there. Do you remember when it flipped in your mind or maybe it didn't flip in your mind, maybe it was always just one 
core belief that you had, but this can work. Like I, I, I know that this can work. I'm still, I still have the questions about that. I don't know if I've hit that yet. <laughs> well, I'm, I'm thinking it was when your husband made a commercial kitchen in your basement. Like my lord. Yeah, that that was kind of a hope and dream, and it, I always laugh because so it was his old. It was like an old bedroom. So mm-hmm. I took over part of his man cave, which I mean, it was very giving of him. Mm. Um, and we had fourteen thousand dollars. That was our budget to start this business, and I spent seven thousand dollars on branding. Wow. And then $7,000 on the kitchen inventory and everything else that you need to start mm-hmm. the business. So I was always a big proponent of start with a strong brand. Mm-hmm. I don't want people to think I'm just a little basement operation. I wanted to, people to, to perceive us as bigger than a little basement operation. Mm-hmm. Now, I read this and it was that, so you did your branding and you got through that process and you looked at it and you were impressed. So you said to yourself, I don't want to wait another year to like make this happen. I want this to happen right now. Well, you've done your research, yes. <laughs> <laughs> but so again, that's kind of a scary thing, right? Mm-hmm. Like I'm an incrementalist a lot of times and Good I want word. to take time to make things happen so they happen right. But you made a jump or at least in your mind you did. A little bit. So, I didn't. I would call myself an incrementalist too. Okay. So what, but you, you went out there yes, and you started. Yes. So what was the story there? Like, and what happened afterwards? So I was working a corporate job and I had, I wanted to do this. We had the commercial kitchen in our house and, um, I had, um, hired paper leaf design to do the branding. Mm-hmm. And so they sent me the first, I think they'd given me three or four options. And then I saw the one that we still have today and it spoke to me emotionally. It's like, I have to use this right away. Like, you're right. It was this emotion that in me is like, I want to do this so badly. But being scared of it not working, I was running the business through the night. So I kept my job for, I'm going to say a year, my full-time job. And then uh, I moved to a part-time, a different role, and then was running the business nights, weekends, and a little bit during the day because I had more time. But then we decided to start a family as well. So I was working a full-time job, running the business, and pregnant. Oh, god! With a massive aversion to chocolate through the pregnancy. Oh, god! So, <laughs> so it was a very fun time in our lives. Um, but... I would say I love the word incrementalist. I am that way too. I I did not leave traditional employment till the very last. Well, I went on that leave. And then at that point of having to go back to work is when I decided, okay, I'm going to be two feet in this. Like I was I was very invested in it, but I was still scared of not having an income. Mm-hmm. And what was the the mental safety net then to, to pull the plug and do it? My husband. He worked very, very hard to build his career so that he could fund our lives while I built our future. Mm-hmm. So you tested along the way and talked about the idea of incrementalist, but there is kind of major points along the way where people are going to tell you, um, you know what, I like this idea, like you'd open your shop up and then people start coming in the doors. Can you talk about that period of time when you started mm-hmm. opening up your first store mm-hmm. and you started putting out your chocolates and this is the product? Yeah, and I think that was probably the scariest part of signing that five-year lease, the first lease, because that's that's two feet in. Um, 
But at the end of the day, I have my mom saying, what's the worst that can happen in this? You go back to work, right? And so I always had that as my backbone is, mm. what is the plan B? It's pretty easy. Yes, I'm gonna you know, have a lease probably to pay, figure that out, but other than that, I just go back to work. Um, but I remember opening the store and just hoping to heck people would show up. Um, I knew I had sort of built a little community around JSIC early on. I had great friends and family that were supporting. And it was a leap of faith at that point, for sure. Um, but again, you know, trying to minimize the risk as much as possible. I rented an old bakery that was in commercial, like industrial Sherwood Park. It wasn't in a fancy location. Um, and I just thought, you know, it's, it's now or never. And what's the worst that can happen? were some of the bright spots when you went through that experience? So you opened Customers the actually showing up. Like People. I was, <laughs> I was like, who over are you? the moon. So we opened the store. I think we opened at 10 a.m. It was a Saturday. And 10, 15, nobody's there yet. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what have I done? Oh God. And, you know, within half an hour, the place was packed. We had a massive, massive day. And on, I was on cloud nine for about a week that we actually had people show up. Yeah. And not just friends and family. Not just, well, that, that must have been interesting. Just when people come and you don't know who they are. Yeah. And then they are invested in what you're doing. Yeah. So did you have experiences like this along the way where people start kind of talking about what you're doing? Um, Absolutely. It still happens today. I don't know the people in the store and I feel weird about it because I'm like, I'm so grateful these people are, you know, buying into what we're offering. Like, it's so cool. And I feel I should still know every customer, which I don't, Mm -hmm. you know? So I still, I'm I'm amazed in every like Christmas when we do the majority of our business, like I'm so blown away by the support we get. So you have these people who are feeling excited. They probably tell you about the experience that they have with your chocolate and and you talk about joy Mm -hmm. in Mm -hmm. what you do. So sometimes what you bring out into the world kind of manifests itself as the culture of what you're doing. Mm -hmm. Can you talk about how that culture has, um, uh, how it works with your, with the people that work with you? Like you've invested in a product and you want to bring joy and fashion uh, together in a product which is chocolate. What, what do you, how do your uh, people um, take part in this? So I often say that we're actually not in the business of chocolate, we are in the business of joy. And when we hire or let go of people, often it's, it's well it is because of joy. So we will hire joyful people. I think that's that's a minimum in hiring somebody. We can teach a lot of the skills, but that joyful attitude is something that we look for in people. And sometimes it's it's we find out that some some people just can't bring it, and so they're just not a good fit for our culture. Um, and the joy shows up in our business. Um, and I'm I mean there are days where things go wrong. They're not joyful, but it's how you deal with that and how you recover. Um, and so I think our, our team is very, very good at communicating when there is an issue. Um, they come to work wanting to bring joy. And I find 
if somebody's missing joy, if I'm not feeling the joy that day, I'll go serve a customer, serve them a sample. I think in giving, we receive joy as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and we do a lot of projects within our business that I, I think bring a lot of joy to the business or to the people in the business. So I don't know, it's it just every, in everything we do, our BHAG is to bring joy to a million people by July 31st, 2024. My team knows this, we measure it every quarter. It's the number of six piece boxes or more that we sell and that brings them joy. So it's kind of threading everything we do from, you know, sort of, I guess the business concepts right through to how we design our products. Um, the bottom of our bags, we have quotes of joy so you'll take out your, cho- your box of chocolates and see a quote there. Mm-hmm. Um, so hopefully it's influenced in everything we do. When I looked at that video online, which talked about uh, bean to bar, it, it was actually quite wonderful. I didn't honestly ever, like I, I knew there's cocoa beans, mm-hmm. but I'd never seen them. I've never seen it come off of uh, the tree mm-hmm. in, in my life. So that was the first time I saw it, mm-hmm. which was fantastic. And it took you through a really cool process to make it to your chocolate bars, which are amazing. Can you talk about that experience of just the process? Why did you Why did you take the time to go and uh, fi- find out about that story? Okay, so there's two. I think there's two things there. Uh, first, thank you for saying you didn't know the process. Most people don't, uh, and that's why I wanted to educate people on fine chocolate because, I mean. From a price perspective, we are one of the, the more expensive, but I think our value is very high because if we can educate our customers as to why it's so much, um, that's really, you know, debunks the, the you know, the pricing. Mm-hmm. Um, the bean to bar process as well, the program at JSIC only started three years ago. So JSIC is 10 years old as a chocolatier, but we became a chocolate maker three years ago. And the difference is, I always use a fashion analogy to explain this. Uh, there's two very distinct industries in chocolate. You have a chocolate maker who's essentially the fabric maker. They're creating the textile or the product from the raw product. And then the chocolatier is the dressmaker. They will take the, the textile or the fabric from the chocolate maker and create the dress or the end piece. Mm-hmm. So in most businesses, those are separate. But if I'm truly about joy, I can't just be the dressmaker. I really want to understand the supply chain, make sure that it's joyful from the beginning and to share the stories from the farms of what brings the farmers joy. So when we go to origin, when we go to the places where we buy our beans, we get to talk to the farmers mm-hmm. and ask them what brings them joy. And I think one of the things I was most surprised about when I went to my first farm visit was they're just as passionate about what they're doing in that supply chain as we are at the end. Mm -hmm. They love their beans, the farming. They, I mean, yes, they're working in conditions that are very different than we're used to in North America, but they're so happy. And I, I love talking to them about what brings them joy in their farming process, in life and all of that and sharing that with our guests and our customers. Yeah. When, um, a number of years ago, my wife and I went on a wine tour, uh, in the Burgundy region in France and loved it. And a lot of that came out when we went to the vineyards, right? So when you think of, uh, like chocolate now, um, I mean, you, you were educated in it, but when you went to these farms, what were they able to tell you about chocolate? Oh my gosh, like, 
everything and I'm still learning I am far from expert in chocolate like this is still very much a learning journey for me but you know little things like how um, I always find it really cool so it, the cacao pod grows on the Theobroma cacao and it only grows 10 degrees north and south of the equator um, they're these beautiful kind of football shaped fruit and they're still taken off by hand by machete by a farmer and then the beans are scraped out so they're cocoa beans since you come co- or cocoa seeds but they're beans um and you know th- they'll tell you the fermentation process takes seven days that white mucilage around the bean has to ferment to develop flavor they show you how the fermentation happens in these different sweat boxes you see the beans drying for a week um before they're bagged up and sent to people like us um but one of the cool things on the farm was seeing how their trees, like there's newer farms and older farms, and usually it's one family that's managing one hectare of farm and they'll sell the beans to the fermentation center. And their trees are named. Like they had names for some of their trees, some of the older farms, and they're not on any grid or anything like that. They just know their trees intimately because they have a really long life. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're passed from generation to generation. But once a tree is starting to get old, they can graft that tree keep the or graft a newer tree and then um add it to the roots of the old tree because wow. it's got an amazing system and then use those roots for the new tree which i find fascinating yeah. and a- then for trees as well they need to be compatible so one tree will pollinate another tree like it's and they're still learning i mean farmers are still very much learning the best ways to grow cacao Mm-hmm. Cacao being the bean before it's roasted, cocoa being after the bean is roasted. So I interchange the two words, and that's the difference. I love that. Yeah. So there's so much in chocolate that I can get, I can nerd <laughs> out on it. So I won't spend an hour talking about cacao, no. but it's it's fascinating. Um, you know the whole process. Just diving into the process. Want to also talk about there's there's a book that you read, and I've also read. Um, that you you kind of use to have a framework um, when you think about business, and that's the E myth. Yes, and it's dividing out the idea of we have almost these three personalities that are part of every entrepreneur: the technician, the manager, and the visionary. And I want you to maybe go into a little bit of how those three personalities might have fought against one another when you were growing your business, because. I know that you're an artist in the way that you do your chocolate. Uh, You're a visionary in terms of how you want to bring joy to many people. And you have to manage the whole damn thing (laughs) and make it work somehow. Mm -hmm. How were you able to approach this as you like move forward with your business? And, you know, it's, it's probably evolving, but, um, yeah, just just that idea of, of of trying to blend the three personalities. Yeah, I mean, such a great question, and I think they're very much in conflict still. I do think a lot about how to manage all three of them because I love the technical, the technician part of the job. I love making chocolates. I love there's so much reward in in creating the chocolates. Um, the manager piece, um, I mean, I have really great people in my business and I've, I've, I think we've created a really great organization and, and how the team leads work and, and managing the people. But I mean, there's still a lot that needs to be done there. And then the vision piece, um, I love that space, but I feel like that's where I need to grow and I'm not there yet mm-hmm. um, in terms of doing that a lot. Um, I think I'm very clear on who we are and what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but the 
the vision, like, you know, the, where do you want to be in five years? I still struggle with that. Yeah. One of the things I, I noted was just one of the people that you went to when you're thinking about vision was the founder of Credo mm-hmm. and had a conversation uh, there. Do you remember what that was? Oh, a conversation with Jeff around vision. Yeah, it was around philosophy and having making sure your business has the backbone of something strong that you believe in, which I mean, the whole business was based on that anyway. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I was very clear on that. I'm still very clear on that. Mm-hmm. It's what do we want it to look like and how can I make, how can I sustain a little bit of the technician, the manager and the visionary? Because I don't know if I want to be just one of those. Um, definitely not a technician. I have better chocolate makers than I am now. Like they're brilliant. And so, but I still love doing it. And the design process is shared. It's not me that does it now. It's a team effort for sure. It's not something I do in isolation. Um, The manager piece is probably the one that I would, if I could get out of, that'd be the one that I would want the least amount of. I, I love making and like the vision. That's sort of where I love to be, but it's just not a reality, right? And I think early in my career, Bernard Calvo, who definitely is the grandfather of fine chocolate in Alberta, um, he asked me early in my, when he first met me was, um, are you a chocolatier or an entrepreneur? You can't be both. And I've always struggled with that. And I don't know if it's necessarily true yet, but it's a very interesting question. Mm-hmm. So to answer your question, they're in conflict. They're in conflict. That's okay. (laughs) There's nothing wrong with that. Well, maybe this will get us to a different space. In order to um, make decisions, because when you move from, you know, having a commercial kitchen in your basement to opening your first store to starting to sell online to having two more stores to thinking of expanding maybe through different retail stores and growing and growing and growing. How do you make sense of it all? And another book that you mentioned to me and I I, I read is uh, Essentialism. Yes. And in it, there is this idea of the 90% rule where you've got uh, okay to, okay uh, things that you could go ahead with. You have like good decisions that you could probably make. And then you have great ones. So you probably have the 70% decisions, the 80%. Then you've got the 90% plus. Um, and deciding to strip out and make those good decisions instead of just going with everything. How are you applying that to your business? And uh, maybe talk about essentialism and what it means to you. And this is a very hard one. I think essentialism dropped in my hands the book when it was meant to. I was really struggling with trying to do everything and be everything and not doing anything well in my business, well, in life actually. And so um, this idea of, for me, the easiest way to sum up how I'm living the philosophy of that book in my life is if it's not a heck yes, it's a no. And we can say no graciously. And do you know what? Sometimes it serves people better to say no because you know, you're, you're kick, tire kicking. You don't really want to do something. It never is going to come to fruition. So you're wasting somebody's time anyway. Mm-hmm. It's just to be really clear on sort of what your vision is and making space for things that you really want to happen. Because if we're saying yes to absolutely everything, which I did for the first five years of the business, and I, I think maybe I needed to to grow it. 
Um, I don't regret it. But for me now is, is I have to be focused because I have a lot of responsibility to my team to make sure we can grow this so we can all make, you know, better ourselves and, and grow the business financially and all of that for all of us. But I also have a responsibility to help people bring joy. I feel like, you know, the more customers we can reach and help them bring joy to those we love, then I've been successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't always have to be in chocolate. It can be, you know, I at Christmas time, I'm always telling my staff, because, I mean, people are stressed out at Christmas. It's just... If you're at Savon buying something, just thank the person who's been serving you. They've probably been yelled at at least 14 times that day and smile, you know? And so for me, I feel like we have a responsibility to just remind people to bring joy and it's not hard. Mm -hmm. So you've, what are some uh, things, you know, in terms of your business that you have been able to make that decision, the, the essentialist decision? Essentialist decision, okay. Um, I think opening more stores, we've had lots of really great opportunities that probably would have been smart to open more retail, um, but it's something that's very, very difficult to do well. We need a very well-trained team, some really good champions for the stores, and we've invested a lot in our retail experience, and we have a brilliant lady who we come and works with us in, in making sure that happens. And I know that would rob my joy short-term, and we wouldn't be able to do it well, so I've said no for now because there isn't the space to do it well right now in terms of capacity. Um, Things I've said no to that probably would be an obvious yes would be um, for right now is getting investors on board. It's for right now, it's a no because I'm not there yet and I'm very clear on that, but it's not to say that's always gonna be the case. I'm really loving what I'm doing, and I, I still want to have full authority on decisions. How about 90% plus things that you are going to do? Um, a heck yes for me will be to bring joy globally. Mm-hmm. And it's in the way we source and in the way we can deliver our product as well. Um, the whole bean to bar program was in that 90%. It was a hard thing to do. I had to hire a chocolate maker and learn the bean to bar process because I wasn't trained. I mean, I did some courses, but you know, we're still learning. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was a heck yes for me. That was a 90% because it's so woven into joy and to, to sharing stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and to me that was just like a no brainer, heck yes, I'm all in. It's expensive, it's gonna be hard, but we need to do this. Mm-hmm. How about uh, folks that surround you now just as for support to kind of move the business to the next level? Like, do you, do you find that you can just take the, the team that you have to work with that? Um, are there other people outside of that group, like peers, that, that can help you? For sure. I have a peer group of 10 uh, business owners that I meet with monthly, and they have we've been meeting for about a year and a half they've completely changed the way I think about my business in a good way um taking a lot of the weight off my shoulders that I was carrying a lot of I think personal burden on like I'm so responsible for everybody and all of this but um it's funny actually it's kind of sidebar but I had a three-month review with one of my team members recently she was just finishing her probationary period and I asked about one of her best days and one of her best days was when the leadership was gone and she had the chance 
to do everything. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes I don't open myself up and give them that opportunity enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that was one of the learnings from my peer group was, you know, give people the tools and then just let them try them. Yeah. And so for me, it's it's learning to um, learning to lead leaders. Yeah. Is something that I'm I'm learning right now, and that peer group has definitely helped me is helping me get there. I also do have a mentor who is absolutely brilliant and is really pushing my boundaries because I I have built a glass ceiling on this business mm-hmm. that he's really working with me to push through. Yeah, it's it's funny. Like when I think of your brand, I think of quality, right? Um, and that would be, there's other brands, you know, uh, in Edmonton and Canada and Alberta that same thing, you think, you think quality. And that's one of the hard things of kind of letting go is the sacrificing maybe either the brand or the product, um, or the experience. So at what point, um, can you let go? Well, I think I, I've realized that by letting go, the quality can be maintained. If I try and do it all, that's where the quality suffers. <laughs> so, you know, it's just hiring the right people who, who do better a better job at you that in that sort of position because I can't be everything. Mm-hmm. And if I try to be, that's when things really break. So it's a trust thing. And I think I've let go over the years. Like, I'm getting much better at that. And my peer group has really helped me see that too. Um, and I find it's important to have a peer group because... It's all in us. We know those answers. It's it's just sometimes saying them out loud to other people that you realize, oh my goodness, you know, I'm totally holding on to this. I need to let it go. Now, uh, this year is 2019. And is there anything exciting that you have in your mind of what you want to do with the business? I'm, I'm not going to put this in the exciting camp because uh, this kind of stuff is not exciting to me, but it's actually just formalizing all of our processes and creating a really, really strong foundation for growth next year. So it's, you know, um, there's new uh, Safe Food for Canadians legislation coming into Canada where you need to have really high quali- um, not quality safety controls in place, which we have. Just, we don't have all the documentation or like insane amount of documentation around it. So building all of those processes, so really strengthening the backbone of production mm-hmm. so that we can take this bigger. Take the next step. Take the next step, yeah, because I think... I mean, we could we could grow the business from a marketing sales perspective, but I really want to make sure that we can deliver on that too, and mm-hmm. deliver well. And um, that's kind of what this year is about: is is really strengthening the processes. So, uh, not exciting. Not exciting. <laughs> not my world. <laughs> well, one thing that uh, you'd mentioned in the past is just that you like the idea that with your business it's almost seasonal in a way mm-hmm. and it changes mm-hmm. over over the year where um, you you have different things that are coming up uh, you must have had a, a fun time around Christmas yes so I always I always liken um, our Christmas season to training for a marathon so you train all year mm-hmm. and then you have one chance to kill like to do it like to do it well and just to kill it right yeah so that's um, do you know what? And I'm going to say it is a lot of fun because we train and we're ready when it hits. 
and we want to execute well. And I mean, you're pushing through and you see the halfway line and the three quarter line, like you, you get through it, but it's invigorating. Like I love waking up at 4.30 and being in the kitchen super early. Um, I'm in production. I don't do emails. I don't do anything in the holiday season. I'm literally just with the team producing. And I would say it's the funnest time of the year. It's so rewarding. And well, like, I mean, how do you, so you're in the kitchen at eight, uh, at 4.30? No, we start at 5, 5.30. You start at so, 5, 5.30. So you're yeah, there yeah. kind of half awake. Oh, fully awake. Yeah. Fully awake. So <laughs> what is the routine? I want to know. So at that time of the year, so that's not my normal routine. Um, no, but it's I'll wake hilarious. up early. Yeah. And you know, I, I'm a big proponent of sleep and not disturbing people's sleep. So I'll, I'll wake up and I, my stuff's in a different bathroom. I'll get ready and then we'll show up at work and uh, somebody will have made coffee, we'll have quick coffee together, and then it's go time. And then uh, I will often do a, an Instagram story early in the morning, um, just because there's something super cool about being up before the rest of the world. I love that. Yeah, and I only do it for six weeks of the year. Um, I do love my sleep, but there's something so, I don't know, I don't know what the feeling is. I'm so excited to be up and knowing we have a big day ahead and then seeing that day close with, you know, so many chocolates made. Yeah. It's a it's a very cool feeling. I, it's not a sustainable feeling. Like, I, it's not something you could do year-round. Not for me, anyway. You know, working the 14-hour days making chocolates, 15-hour days. But. No. So, at the end of it, uh, do you guys just pass out? Like, well, what happens? Yeah, we get a little delirious. <laughs> it's actually pretty funny. A lot of singing, a lot of dancing. Um... It just, and then we close the door and it's the most bizarre feeling because you've gotten to this new rhythm of like, go, go, go. And then Christmas Eve, we finish at two o'clock. We have a drink and it's like, oh my God, it's done. We're like done. the marathon is done. It's over. And then, and then, you know, I have a week's rest. Everyone gets a week off and then it's bring it on again. And so we start planning in January for Christmas. So I'm well into the, our advent calendar for 2019. With just looking back on kind of where you are so far if you were to give yourself some pieces of advice just you know maybe it's your 25 year old self or whatever it is what would what would you say I would say my 30 year old self so that was sort of a couple years into the business um, breathe a little bit more I was so scared of failure that I think um, I didn't rest enough um, I was saying yes to everything and I think unnecessarily mm -hmm. how do you know that you're doing a good enough job to breathe Oof, good question um, and I think that was my fear then as I didn't have the experience that my best self is when I'm rested I didn't know that until recently that since essentialism, mm -hmm. when I've given myself space and permitted myself an hour to go to yoga and permitted myself to work out, that I didn't realize you can do better with less intensity all the time. Like mm -hmm. if, I, if I give myself that space, and I just didn't know that then, and maybe the business needed it, maybe it's where it is today because I was that intense. I don't know. Mm -hmm. But that's what I would tell myself is okay to take an hour off. Yeah. It's okay to not completely kill yourself. And, you know, I had a, a baby at the same time, you know, and so now I'm trying to make up for lost time where I was always mentally in the, the, the business game. Right, right. So how about balance now? Is that, is, you know, I've, I've heard different terms thrown around, 
you know, work-life integration, um, you know, just work-life balance. Where are you in that? Well, I don't know if balance really exists, especially in my business, which is insanely seasonal. Um, I think as long as I'm waking up every day happy and learning, I'm good. And sometimes it's, it's, I might be working, but I'm happy. It's, I love what I do, you know, and having my husband in the business now, our life, we, we have, we can design it right now, how we want to spend our time. So we are traveling a lot this year. I mean, we'll still be connected and available and working, but it's just a life choice. It's not, it's not something I think, okay, well, I'm working eight to five. It doesn't work like that for me. It's just, there's something to do. We'll get it done and enjoy it in the process. So one of your favorite quotes is keep your feet on the ground and your head in the stars by Paco Torreblanca. Yes. So he's a legendary chocolatier. Yes, he is. Yeah, out of Spain. Okay. Uh, tell me a, a little bit about that. Well, and I think this is where it's hard is like keep dreaming, keep building, keep creating, but still be real at the same time. Like, I mean, at the end of the day, we still have to be productive and all of that. So it's this balance of like, I guess the visionary technician as well. Like I think it falls in this like balancing act of like continue to grow, dream, aspire, mm-hmm. but get shit done. Too. Get shit done. <laughs> okay, so if we were to leave this uh, podcast with um, kind of a, a final message from you to 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 people, um, you know, what would you want to leave? Uh, and what I mean by this is, so if you were going to put um, kind of a message out on a billboard or uh, get a message out on a tweet to a whole bunch of folks, um, what type of message would you want to... Honestly, everything I do is so terribly simple when it comes to joy. I think I would say, like, on a billboard, like, um, smile to the next person you see. Mm-hmm. You know, if we could all do that three times a day, I think the world would be a better place. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. That's great. Uh, Jacqueline, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate it. Thank you. No, it's been fun. And where can we catch you on the interweb? Uh, jsickchocolate.com. You can follow us along on Instagram. Um, I think that's where, you know, in our stories, we're as real as it gets. Mm. Um, and just follow along in our joy journey. Wonderful. Thanks so much for your time. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers.